This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Today we kick off a brand new series called Fight For It, because like you saw in that short clip, we're all going to experience conflict in one way or another. And so as a part of this series, we're going to have a little bit of fun, and we're going to kind of instigate a little bit of conflict between some of our staff members every week. We're going to do a little challenge. We call it a dad joke challenge. And this week, um, we're going to let you meet two of our staff members as they go head to head. And and the kind of premise for this is they have to tell a very simple dad joke. And the the first person to laugh is is the person that that loses that round. And so so this week, we have Seth Utley, who is uh, our service programmer and kind of runs all the media. And then Kevin Timmons, who leads worship for us and manages our student ministry. And we're going to watch that video right now. It's Kevin and Seth. Dad joke competition. I'm going to go first. What's an astronaut's favorite part of a computer? Hmm. The space bar. What's the Nevada City where all the dentists live? Which one? Las Vegas. That's a good one. That's pretty good. What happens when you go to the bathroom in France? Um, European. Yeah. Did you hear about that kidnapping at the school? No, I did not. It's fine. He woke up. <laughs> what is this preschool? Where are we? Where are we at here? <laughs> Why did the Invisible Man turn down the job offer? He really just couldn't see himself doing it. <laughs> that was funny. I don't know why you're not laughing, KG. What do you call a man who can't stand? I don't know, what do you call him? Neil. Neil. <laughs> that one was bad. <laughs> you better not. <laughs> I got you, I got you. All right. Okay, did you hear about the Italian chef who died? Mm, I don't know. He passed away. <laughs> that one almost got me. I felt that. It was almost there. What do you call a man with a rubber toe? I actually know this one. Go on. <laughs> Roberto. <laughs> All right. Why does a chicken coop only have two doors? Why is that? Because if it had four doors, it'd be a chicken sedan. I'm going <laughs> did you hear about the chameleon who couldn't change color? No, I did not. He had a reptile dysfunction. Mm. <laughs> oh. Solid. Dumb. <laughs> this will be fun. Uh, that's horrible. That's horrible. You know, conflict is something that shapes our lives. And sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we get it wrong. I actually heard a story as I was preparing for it this week uh, to share with you. In 2011, uh, I think he was 73, a 73-year-old man uh, named Vladimir in Berlin was arrested He was arrested because he was disturbing the peace. He had installed on the the roof of his home 
an air raid siren that was kind of a relic from World War II. He was brought into the, um, to the police station after the arrest was made, and he was sat down, and, you know, and the, the, the police officers reported, hey, you know, we're, we're getting reports that this air raid siren is going off. Uh, it's going off in the middle of the night. It's going off early in the morning. Sometimes it's going off for 10, 15 minutes, sometimes just for, for a little bit, but, but it's causing a lot of disturbance among your neighbors. What is going on? Why do you have an air raid siren in your own home? And he explained, and this is a direct quote from the police report. My wife, Rosina, never lets me get a word in once she starts in on me, Vladimir said. So when she does, I crank up the siren for a few minutes. And it works every time. Afterwards, it gets real quiet all over again. <laughs> I mean, there's some of us in the, we, we might not have an air raid siren at home. But if we're honest, we're probably not dealing with conflict in the healthiest way. See, we all experience conflict. Some of you had it yesterday. Come in this morning going, man, we need some help today. Some of us, it's been this last week, some of the last month, some of the last year. So conflict ends up, whether we like it or not, it ends up shaping our relationships and therefore ends up shaping our lives. And some of the conflict that we experience is, is fairly serious. If you're in here today, maybe you've experienced in the past abuse or neglect. I, I, I just feel like it's important to say this at the outset of this message series. That if you're experiencing abuse, while we will talk about forgiveness and grace, and it does have its place in relationships, if your safety is at question, please get distance and please get help. Okay? We're not empowering abuse here. I just want you to, that's that's serious, but it's still conflict. And sometimes, if we're honest, the conflict that we experience is quite comical. Have you ever gotten a fight with your spouse, and it's a few days, a few weeks, maybe in a few weeks, a few years later, you look back, and you're like, man, that was stupid. I can't believe we fought about that. Can I share with you, this is a fight we had when we first got married for the first few years. It was so stupid. We look back, and we laugh at it. It was this right here. Look at this picture. Anybody ever get in a fight over this? Right, there's two different kinds of people in this world. There's people who are, you know, on the left, they're over people, and then there's people who are on the left, and they're, they're are on the right, and they're under people, right? This is, this is two different, and we all, and there's valid arguments for both, but the truth is that one of you are wrong, right? <laughs> one of you are. And my wife, my wife was an over person, and I was an under person, and, 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 and now I'm just, uh, I'm thankful that there's toilet paper there at all person, right? But, but how many, how many of y'all, raise your hand if you're an over person. Okay, raise your hand if you're an under person. Raise your hand if you just don't care. You just want toilet paper on there. That's, I get it, okay? She eventually won me over to the, being an over person. It was, it, but it was conflict. We look back, and that, why, that was silly. It was, it was kind of even maybe stupid, all right? Every relationship is going to experience conflict. So let me just give you some some things to help you understand just kind of what real conflict needs to look like. And the first thing that's in your notes today is that every healthy, intimate relationship will experience conflict. I, I, I want you just to kind of absorb that truth today. Every healthy, intimate relationship will experience 
conflict. For, for this series, I, I just want you to kind of to see where we're going as far as semantics, as far as the words that we're using. We're, we're going to use the words fighting to talk about conflict. And there are some of us in the room, maybe some, some friends that you have that, that might, as a badge of honor, say, we're that couple, we don't fight at all. Okay? That's never been me and my wife at all. All right? And, and what, what I want you to see today is, is that, that those couples that say that probably define conflict, find the word fight different. They probably mean, you know what, I've never hit her. <laughs> never got that far. We're not going WWE on each other. But when you dig down into it, there's only two reasons that a couple could say that we don't fight. And one is their definition of fight. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what they mean. We, we're, we, we don't get to that level, which is awesome. That means probably we're maybe, maybe processing conflict in a healthy way, or they're lying, okay? That's the only other decision. That's the only other way. I had a friend who really, he would wear this as a badge of honor about him and his spouse. And it was really, it was actually quite difficult for me because I had people who came in for counseling and, and they would come in and sit down and go, man, I just don't feel like me and my wife have a very healthy relationship. You know, my, our friend over here says they don't fight at all and we fight all the time. And I was like, no, 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 they fight. I've seen his wife slam the door in his face. I mean, I've seen that happen. They just define fight a little differently. And so if that's you, can, can you just do me a favor? Don't wear that as a, as a badge of honor. Because often what it does is it ends up putting an expectation on people that are experiencing healthy conflict. Because every healthy, intimate relationship experiences conflict. It's a part of it. A relationship is two souls colliding to become one life. There's no way for that to happen without conflict. As a matter of fact, it's even described in Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Conflict is, in many ways, inevitable. So number two, how we handle conflict contributes to the health of of our relationships. This is where we need to understand there's a difference between fighting, experiencing, and fighting, right? There's a difference between having a, a disagreement and that disagreement elevating to the point that we're throwing chairs, we're throwing hands. That's not healthy, obviously, because there's kind of that, that difference between a conflict and all of a sudden anger inserting itself into a relationship. You know, we, we don't think about that a lot. How Can we experience, can we walk through conflict without being angry? Yeah, you can. You can't. You, I think sometimes we don't, we don't know why we get angry, but most psychologists and counselors would tell you that we, we get angry because we sense that we've lost control, that things aren't going our way. It's not happening how we would want it to happen. And so for most of us, the instinctual reaction in our heart is we get angry when we lose control. But I, I know that we can experience the, the, the tensions of conflict and even frustration without going to a point where that becomes motivating. And I think that's why Psalm 4 verse 4 says this, don't let sin or don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't sin 
by letting anger control you. Because what can happen is, and, and you've experienced this, we all have at different points, where, where all of a sudden anger starts to formulate words and they come out and you're like, oh, I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe they just said that. All, right, all of a sudden, what is conflict escalates to a WWE match in the middle of our living room. And that's just not healthy. That's not healthy. So I would tell you as we kind of get started in this series, number three, that the best things in life are worth fighting for. The best things in life are worth fighting for. We're, we're going to kind of dive in to how do we do that over the next three weeks in this series. I, and I believe that for you and for me, there's so much freedom, there's so much life, there's so much health for our relationships as we begin to learn to how, how, how do we navigate conflict? What are the things that we should fight for? So next week, I'm going to share a message called Sucker Punch. It's about how we get conflict wrong in our relationships. How do we fight dirty? Well, we do that. You probably do it. I probably do it. So we're going to talk about that next week. In, in the third week, I'm going to share a message called Hills to Die On. This is the stuff we should fight for in our relationships. And then the last week, I'm just going to get real practical, and I'm going to share how, what are some simple, basic rules for fighting. How can we take all the stuff that we learned throughout those first three weeks and, and put it into some practical ways that we can kind of create an expectation? These are, this is how we're going to navigate conflict together. Because the best things in life are worth fighting for. So as we get started, let me kind of just share with you a tension that, that kind of it, it wraps itself up in the conflict that we experience. And it comes as we begin to learn about the character and nature of Jesus in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, in several places, as Jesus is being introduced to us by his best friend, John describes Jesus as coming full of grace and truth. We see that in John 1, 14, where it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. This is so important. Because I want you to see this today as we begin to navigate. How do we, how do we navigate conflict? How do we deal with conflict? That love cannot last without truth. And grace, but there's that tension between truth and grace. Because it often feels like those two things are opposed to each other. How can I how can I be honest and, and full of grace? And then and then how can how can I tell the truth but 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 avoid kind of it feels like if I'm doing that I'm not being gracious. How do, how do I navigate that tension? So let me give you three things. These are not in your notes, but if you're taking notes today, I'd write this down. Number one, uh, truth without grace is mean. Truth without grace is mean. We live in a world that is filled with a lot of truth that's never spoken in love. And I don't know where it came from, but this idea that, that we get to, to be real as an excuse for just being mean. See, let me, let me just say this. Just because you can say it doesn't mean you should say it. Okay? Just because you can say it doesn't mean you should say it. You show up to kind of that, that meeting where some of your, your girlfriends are getting together. You show up and that girl's wearing something way too tight for her today. Oh, you could say something, but that doesn't mean you should. 
when you're hanging out with the guys and that guy kind of starts into bragging again and kind of maybe embellishing some things about his life. Well, you, you could cut him off, but, but should you? There's a difference between what we can say and what we should say. And the thing about love is love tends to navigate that tension. I've noticed this, that love knows that there's a wrong time, a good time, and a God time. Love knows that there's a wrong time, a good time, and a God time. And can I just share with you, this is out of a lot of failure in that area of my life. My, my gifting is a teacher. I mean, that's really kind of where God put me in life. It's what, what I get to do when I'm here. It's what I get to do one-on-one as I'm coaching and developing our staff. I'm a, I'm a teacher at heart. And so when I see somebody in a teachable moment with something that I've been praying for and believing God for victory in their life, it is so easy for me to insert my own self into that moment to try to give something that feels, feels like a good moment. It's a teachable moment. You're struggling with that right now. But that doesn't mean it's a God moment. And what I've noticed is that oftentimes I kind of step into moments that I feel are good moments to share something, and it's really not. It's really not. Because truth needs to be delivered in love and grace. It needs to be delivered in love and grace. So number one, truth without grace is mean. Number two, grace without truth is meaningless. Grace without truth is meaningless. I think sometimes we feel like to give grace, we have to overlook the truth. To give grace, we have to overlook the truth. And what ends up happening is that we end up enabling people in areas where they're struggling and they need truth because truth is what will provoke growth and change. See, I've, I've noticed this with us, the way that we deal with truth and, and grace, that when we don't have to face the truth, we'll create our own versions of the truth. Now think, think about that with your family. So imagine you give a curfew for your kids. You have to be in at 11 p.m. That's what time we expect you to be home tonight. 11 p.m. is your curfew. And they show up, 11.30. And you're waiting up. Hey, how you doing? Well, good to have you home. Go, let's go to bed. No conversation, no nothing. A week later, same thing happens. Hey, it's good. Glad you're safe. Good. Welcome home. Do you know what happens when the truth, when you're not as a parent asserting the truth of that moment, they begin to make up their own truth. All of a sudden, they might go, you know what, I think when my parents tell me something, it's actually a suggestion, it's not a firm rule. You know what, I can, I can do this and it's going to be okay. I can, I can be late. There's no consequence for this. I don't really know where the boundary is, but I know that 1130 is okay because I've done that for two weeks. And sometimes I think that we feel like if I'm going to give grace, then I have to disregard the truth. But that's not how it works. Grace doesn't dismiss the truth. Grace heals the truth. Grace doesn't dismiss the truth. It doesn't dismiss what happened. Grace inserts itself into that moment and heals the wound that's there. Grace is always going to acknowledge the fact that we 
or they have missed the mark. That's the truth, but grace allows for healing. So I would say this, that truth and grace are medicine. They are medicine to our souls. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. But truth and grace are medicine. There are some things in life that you have to go through. There are some conversations that have to be had. There's some truth that can't be dismissed. And there are things that in your relationships, you're going to have to fight through them. You're going to have to struggle through the conflict. But here's what I can tell you today. That love with truth and grace navigates conflict and leads to a win. It leads to a win. When we learn how to get truth and grace right, what ends up happening is that we end up positioning ourselves to win together. So what I really want to to share with you today is, is kind of a mentality when it comes to how we handle conflict. Because so many of you handle conflict the way that perhaps I have That when we go into conflict with someone, that there's going to be a winner, there's going to be a loser, either my idea is going to win or yours is going to win. If I win, I'm the winner. If you win, I'm the loser. And it can lead to such a defeated posture in your relationships. It can lead to such passivity that we don't fight for the things that we should fight for. But I believe that we can fight like a winner. We can fight like a winner. And that's, I believe, how God wants us to fight. It's how conflict should be managed and and how it should be processed in our relationships. So let me give you a few things to help with that. Because I believe this, if we learn how to fight for it, we can all win. If we learn how. And it's not something that we get from our culture. It's definitely not something that most of us walked in from our our families of origin knowing how to do. But it is something that can dramatically change the texture of your life if we can learn how to navigate conflict. And the first thing I want you to see is the problem is never a person. The problem is never a person. A person. Far too often, as anger begins to surge in the middle of conflict, it moves from this is something you did to this is something you are. You're not just the person who forgot our anniversary. You're a person who doesn't care about me. And we shift the, 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 the problem to the person We do this not just with people that we're in relationships with, but if we're honest, many of us have done it with people groups, with those who belong to certain races or certain social classes or political parties. But the problem is never a person. The fight is never against a person. No matter how intimate or distant or broad that fight seems to be. 
It's described in the book of Ephesians in the sixth chapter. And look at this fighting language and see what the Apostle Paul shows us about the fights that we go through. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The problem isn't a person. The problem's sin. The problem isn't a person. The problem's sin. We we live in a in a broken and fallen world. And the conflict that emerges within us, within our relationships, within our culture, that conflict is oriented not around a person but around sin. Paul is very clear that our fight is not against flesh and blood. That there are forces, if you're in a marriage, I want you to understand today, there are forces that are at work to try to destroy your marriage. Your fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and dark, evil forces that wish to destroy you. And sin because of that influence, exists in the world that we live in. And that sin causes conflict between all of us. The problem isn't a per- And when we can start to understand that, we start to do that, stop, actually stop doing that associative thing that we do. When we say that this is who you are, you're the person who forgets. You're the person that doesn't care. You're the person that I can't trust. Have you ever noticed that it's so easy for us to define people by their worst mistakes? But we never want people to do that to us. The problem isn't a person. Number two, we need to keep a winner's mentality. We need to keep a winner's mentality in the middle of conflict. We need to keep a winner's mentality because so many, so many times we, we get into that, that, that season of conflict or that moment of conflict, and all of a sudden it becomes like either I'm going to win or I'm going to lose. And we start to elevate and escalate based on the, the, the sense that I'm going to lose. I care so much about this, and I'm going to lose this argument. You're not going to see my perspective. You're not going to understand what I'm trying to say. But that's not a winner's mentality. It's a victim's mentality. I'd say that a a victim approaches conflict in this way. Things are out of my control are happening to me. Things that are out of my control are happening to me, and I can do nothing about that. In other words, this is you're you're either you're gonna do whatever you want to do. I can't change your mind but I can definitely make it really difficult for you. And as I feel that like things are slipping further and further out of my control, my anger starts to elevate and escalate, and I start to say things that I wouldn't normally say, start to do things that I wouldn't normally do. 
It's all born out of a victim's mentality that assumes that there's so much out of your control and everything is just happening to you. But a winner's mentality is the exact same circumstances, just a different perspective. See, I think that when we come from a winner's mentality, what we're, what we're saying is that the, there are lots of things that are out of my control, but I will work to control what I can control and trust Jesus through it all. I think it's highlighted in the words of Jesus himself. Jesus said in John 16, and I want you to leave this verse up, that I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Please look at this with me. Jesus is saying, all this I've been teaching you, I've been pushing you towards the kingdom of God, I've been showing you what your life, and all of these things I've told you, I have told you for this simple reason. I want you to have peace. But let me tell you what's about to happen. You're going to have trouble. For the sake of this series, let me rephrase that. You will experience conflict. It is coming. There are people that are going to come against you. There are forces that are going to come against you. There are things that are going to be hurt. They're going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. You will have trouble. But take heart. Rest. Because I have overcome the world. See, some of us have defined peace as the absence of conflict. Which is why we wear, I don't fight as a badge of honor. But Jesus never said that. As a matter of fact, in this moment, he says something quite different. He says, and he shows us that peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Jesus. It's not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Jesus. And so many times, we don't recognize that that in the collision of two souls in a relationship, in the navigation of community with friends, in, in a culture and society where there are so many different ideas and perspectives and worldviews, There's going to be conflict. You're going to experience conflict. It's going to be a part of your life. But just because you're experiencing conflict doesn't mean you can't have peace. Because Jesus said, listen, here's how we do this. Realize that the war has already been fought and I've already won it. I've already, all this warring that you're doing against sin has already been won through the mercy of Jesus as he gave his life up on the cross. Victory's already happened. And so many times, we're walking through life defeated when Jesus has already won the war. So I would tell you today, this is going to be kind of the the frame of thought that we're going to go through this series with. If Jesus wins, we all win. 
If Jesus wins, we all win. See, how many of us in the middle of conflict in our, in our house, we, 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 I, want my, I want my view to win. I want my side to win. I want, I want what I see, the way I think things should go. That's what I want to win. But I can tell you what can save you a lot of heartache, bitterness, brokenness, is if you will take up the attitude of just saying, hey, you know what, in our family, we want Jesus to win. In my marriage, I want Jesus to win. In our finances, I want Jesus to win. In my friendships and relationships with my coworkers, I want Jesus to win. Because if Jesus wins, we all win. That means you've got to give up a little bit of that pride. You've got to embrace a little bit of humility. You have to say, it's not about me anymore. It's not about my way, my perspective, what I want. If Jesus wins, we all win. When you approach conflict that way, you're setting yourself up for success. Here's a a passage of scripture we're going to anchor into for the next few weeks. I want you to see this. I want you to see the way that God has, has asked us to navigate conflict. Because this verse is all about conflict. Truth and grace is all about conflict. This is, this is something that God, God has said, there are going to be some things in life, you're going to have to fight for these things. We're going to experience conflict in our relationships. And how we handle that is going to determine the quality of those relationships. So look at this verse, Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander as well as the types of, of all types of be- evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Think about, think about this. The direction of Scripture is that we're to navigate conflict the way that God navigated his conflict with you and I. There was a time that every person in this room, before receiving the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we were all enemies of God. Not just your behavior, but the state of your soul was offensive to a holy God. And what did God do? He rained down judgment on you. He stamped sinner on your forehead. Or did he send his son Jesus to die for you? To give up his life. To pay the penalty that you should have paid, that I should have paid, so that we could be made right with God. Was God kind? Was he patient? Was he forgiving? Was he loving? Yes. In the way that God has loved you, the way that God has been merciful with you, the way that God has given you grace, the way that God has never shied away from telling you the truth, but at the same time has always received you and loved you in the same way that we've been forgiven through Christ, that's the way you're supposed to love and forgive others. Because if Jesus wins, we all win. 
But if he's going to win in your relationship, if he's going to win in your marriage, if he's going to win in your family, if he's going to win in your friendships, if Jesus is going to win in your life, he's got to win in your heart first. There's no way for you to share forgiveness that you've never received. There's no way for you to love if you've never received that love. If Jesus is going to win in your relationships, he's got to win in your heart first. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.